Facebook, my superior podcast, Deadly Machine, with me, Dabu Frey. Spoilers? Check. Mature language? Check. Should listeners be advised? Check. Count Dracula. There's a new Red Wolf series. Yeah, I picked up the first issue. It was okay. Okay. I was I just I just found out about that. I was like, really? They're bringing this guy back? I assume it has something to do with representation or maybe they just want to maintain the trademark because he's had he had a series back in the 70s. Maybe they, they just wanted to renew that trademark. But I, I think so because I was talking to some friends about after the whole – I don't know why we actually have to call this a controversy, but after the hiring of the actor for Iron Fist, somebody was talking about like who are uh, – like because I've always made the point that Marvel has a great shelf of – Black and African American heroes, like some of my favorites, but they don't have a whole lot of great Latino or Hispanic characters. Really or bad Asians. Latinos. I'm like, and it's like somebody was asking me, like, who are they? I was like, well, there's a guy named White Tiger who's a fourth-rate daredevil and dead. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, uh, like a Firebird girl from the George Perez Kurt Busiek run of the Avengers that I remember. See, I remember Silver Claw, which is from that Silver time Claw. Am I confusing her with Firebird? Uh, and then Flamebird was from the West Coast Avengers, and she was Ingleheart okay. uh, and Al Milgram, if I recall correctly. She was the okay. evangelical – conf- well, she was a Catholic. I was conflating those two in my head. I always think and- of El Aguilar, who is a Zorro riff that popped up in Power Man and Iron Fist as like, oh, one yeah, of the yeah. more embarrassing examples. He's Marvel's vibe. Right, right. And then on the Asian – I mean Shang-Chi, who is a pretty deliberate Bruce Lee clone, but I think enough time has passed where Bruce Lee – I, I don't think he's steeped in the public consciousness the way he used to be. So I think they could actually do a Shane Chief Master of Kung Fu type of movie or TV show or something and not seem like such an obvious ripple. I think their target audience wouldn't be distracted by that necessarily. Yeah, well, and also he was an update of Robert Carradine's character from Kung Fu who was supposed right, to be played right. by Bruce Lee initially anyway. I think that maybe the whole Sax Romer Fu Manchu thing might have been an issue there as well because it's tough to bring up Shang Chi without bringing up all the yellow peril stuff that he was yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you recall, uh, I think it was Inglehart and Jim Starlin that created that character, and they immediately abandoned the character when Stan Lee got the rights to Fu Manchu and forced them to use it in that property. Whoa, this is now officially toxic. We're not writing this anymore. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah. So, but but so, it's great because that's how you ended up with Paul Galassi and Doug Minch doing the book. But getting back, I mean, so in that case, if you want somebody to represent the uh, Hispanic culture or Latino, I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but in terms of representing the American Southwest, Native Americans, I think Red Wolf is a pretty good re- representative who's unique he could be a fun character yeah he's kind of problematic too though because uh, uh, you well, know he, he was he was running around bare-chested he's running around shooting bow and arrows he embodies a lot of stereotypes and in particular trying to bring that unaltered version to you know i think it was 2014 when that promotional image first came up i can see where a lot of people let, like raise some hackles i don't know how many actual native people were pissed off about that i think it was maybe more of social justice warrior kind of thing going on there it was like hey he looks like a redskin what's marvel <laughs> thinking but then they go and they put him in cowboy clothes for the revamp, and he looks boring. He doesn't look like anything right now. I'm hoping yeah. he's going to have a costume later on. It seems like they're indicating that on those sort of minimalist covers they're doing, but I don't think they've reflected in the actual stories yet. They should buy the rights to Brave Star. Did you ever see that cartoon in the 80s oh, yeah. or 90s? It was like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon where he was this uh, like frontier marshal, but it was sort of like a post-apocalyptic future western, and he could have the powers of these four different animals strength of a bear, speed of a cheetah or something. Yeah. No, I, I remember Brave Star. He, I, I liked him pretty well. Yeah, he was, he was, was the only uh, non-white they managed to get through because originally they wanted to have Black Star be black as well. Yeah. Uh, but by the time it made it to CBS, they decided that they was going to be more commercial to make him an ambiguously white guy, sort of like tan looking. But yeah, no, Brave Star was cool and I 
wouldn't mind seeing a black star that was actually black too, or at least mm-hmm. mixed, which you could kind of play off. Like I said, he was kind of tan looking. Yeah. I always interpreted him as either part Native American or of Hispanic or Mexican descent. That was the way I interpreted it was when I was a kid. Yeah, they left so. it ambiguous enough to where you could do that. Yeah, I, I had the action figures, and I remember him being yeah. pretty dark compared to old He-Man. Hey, Diablo Frank, what are we talking about this evening, buddy? Marvel Chillers 3, 5, 6, and 7. Featuring Tigra the Weir Woman. The Weir Woman. Which, as you explained in our other Tigra podcast, means... Uh, woman, woman? Woman, Or actually woman. man, woman. Man, woman. Right. Let's see. Because werewolf means man, wolf. Right. So she should technically be something else. Yeah. So we had right. the four-issue cat series. Editor's note. See the Marvel Superheroes podcast episode 12. Beware the claws of the cat. The cat, number one, came out in November of 1972. Stanley's the one who was credited with creating the characters. Roy Thomas took over as editor-in-chief at Marvel in the early 70s, I believe. But he was giving orders by Stan that they wanted to diversify the line. Roy Thomas really felt like if you're going to do female heroes, you need to actually have some female creators. One of their secretaries, Linda Fight, had tried to break in as a writer. Then Stan also got Marie Severin, who is one of the most accomplished Silver Age artists at Marvel, regardless of gender. And then we had Giant Size Werewolf by Night number two which featured the switch from the cat to tigra yep. editor's note see the marvel superheroes podcast episode 15 tiger the werewolf they were going to cover giant sized creatures number one featuring werewolf by night and the introduction of tiger the werewoman Tony Isabella. He's trying to think of a new horror concept. How about a woman who turns into a cat? And he thought out this whole mythology behind it and how it worked. And while he was trying to come up with a name for the character he's creating, he thought back to the cat. I was like, well, just made up Rear Nelson. The basic design of the character was by Gil Kane, but pretty much the entire Marvel bullpen had a hand in creating a character. John Romita is supposed to have had some input into that. Don Perlin, a bunch of other folks. What a strange, twisted way to get to where we're at. I just had no idea Tiger's first appearance was in werewolf by night giant size number one. Like, it seems so strange. And this was really quick, too, because her first appearance came out in our call correctly, 74-75, so it was a year from the original Cat series. From the end of the series, a very short turnaround before they decided, we're just going to upend this character and come out with a completely different take on it. Wow. I guess I didn't realize that it was that quick turn. Man, they really just gave up on the cat, huh? Greer is a great character. So many times, the alternate ego is normally dark. And it's secondary to the superhero. For God's sakes, put the suit on and go fight somebody. Whereas Rear Grant was an extremely likable character. Her struggles as a woman after her husband passed away was just as interesting. And how she was going to start getting her life put back together was as interesting as anything she was going to do in the cat outfit. It makes sense to me that somebody would say, you know what, we've got a really good character established. The book bombed out. Let's just ditch the whole superhero bit, costume changing bit, and let's just go weird with it. And then we did Monsters Unleashed magazine number 10, which featured a tiger story. Yep. And then she had a cameo in Avengers 144. And as I recall, you've been reading the uh, Avengers story arc that introduced Hellcat and Tiger tied into that. And that was one of those issues. Correct. So that means that we're pretty much gone in chronological order up for the next uh, appearance. Although we're not going to cover issue number four of Marvel Chillers because there was a fill-in issue uh, written by Chris Claremont featuring Craven the Hunter. Interesting. Editor's note, see the Marvel Superheroes podcast episode 62. 
Tiger 2 in 1 featuring Spider-Man and the Thing. So you don't know anything about Tiger, huh? Nope. So you've literally read like your first Tiger comic ever today? Yes. Huh, okay. Did you listen to the Tiger episode of the Marvel's and Heroes podcast? No. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest. I don't well, tweet. Okay, but you were you you were in the cat episode, though. Yeah, I remember the cat episode, yeah. This is the same girl. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Is she evolving like a fucking Pokemon now and shit? So we're trying to pick up kind of where we left off. And the first of the titles is Marvel Chillers number four by Chris Claremont, Frank Robbins, and a surprisingly unobtrusive Vince Coletta, Marvel 2-in-1 number 19. It's from 1976. The story is called Claws of the Cougar. It's by Bill Mantlo, Sal Buscema, Don Heck. I read this story at your birthday. Okay. I got bored. I brought some comics with me, and I just read it when I went during. That's right. My bo- my birthday was that boring. Tigers appearances from Fantastic Four number one seventy seven through one eighty six, covered in December nineteen seventy six through September nineteen seventy seven. Paging Doctor Ann. Paging Doctor Ann. <laughs> Good morning. In Marvel team up number sixty seven, covered dated March nineteen seventy eight by Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Dave Hunt. So the story's called Tiger of Tiger Burning Bright and go to Marvel Premiere featuring Tiger of the Feline Fury, issue number 42 from 1978. Okay. And then you get to the interiors, it's called Nightmares Evolution. The plot is by John Warner. Oh, and Ed Hennigan. The art is by Mike Vosberg and Ernie Chan. And Ernie Chan really dominates with his inks. It looks like an Ernie Chan story to me. But now we're moving on to this one you read. Ah, oh, dude, it wasn't even worth it, man. Marvel team up with Spider-Man's team up book. This is issue number 125, cover dated January 1983 by J.M. Demateus. Breakdowns by Kerry Gamble. Full inks finished art by uh, Mike Esposito. The story is called Yesterday and Today. So it's kind of funny because this Marvel Chillers, the first two issues were featured a character called Modred the Mystic. Well, if I remember correctly, because my brother had a copy of the first issue when we were kids, uh, he'd like been placed in like a, a Rip Van Winkle like coma, and then he was a, he was a medieval sorcerer, and he wakes up in modern times. And at first, he seems like a good guy, but pretty quickly they switched him over to being a bad guy and popped up in various comics. So he got the first two issues of Marvel Chillers, and I guess they decided to switch out the format and turn it into the anthology series that Tiger would be covering. And she was the star of the book for. For its short run. It only lasted the seven issues. So this first issue, which they made a point of saying it's the premiere issue, even though it had number three on it, because it was. Uh, it came out in 1975. The story was called Holocaust is Our Business, and it involved a group of people called the Rat Pack, who were apparently like scavengers of technology who wore all green outfits, and they had previously fought Captain Marvel around issue 20 of his series. So I think that was back during the Thomas Gilkane run of the book. Give me, hey, give me the creative team. Let's go. Okay, the creative team is Tony Isabella and Will Muna. Muno would go on to co-create the DN agents with Mark Evanier, and then he would work extensively in animation as well. But he did a little bit of comic work, and I think this is some of his earliest work. What do you think of the art? I thought it was pretty stuff. Yeah. So what's the story? Or do you want me to tell the story? I'll tell the story right quick because I got the tablet in front of me. Okay. So the Rat Pack throw knockout gas into a crowd. There's some cops who are trying to stop them, and one of the guys murders a cop. And these guys, they don't have actual names. The Rat Pack is like number one through number five. And there's already infighting amongst them because one of the people is like, wow, you didn't really need to kill a cop. Look, I just used my karate skills to beat this guy. We had the same effect and we don't have a murder rap added to our list. And the guy who killed the cops like, yeah, but my guy ain't going to get up again. And so they steal something, but it's vague what it is that they steal. And some more police come to check out the bystanders have been knocked out by this gas. And one of them turns out to be a cat man. So they arrest him, assuming that he's part of the rat pack. Meanwhile, Dr. Tomolo and Tigra are traveling to, do they say where this takes place? Some, they do say where. It's some, uh, somewhere 
Southern California. It's a sleepy Southern California city, whichever one it is. They're going to try to find one of the cat people to see if they would be able to change Tigra back to a human form so they should go back and forth from human to Tigra. And unfortunately, it turns out that the guy that they were looking for, Dr. Leon, wasn't it? Yep. Well, he was the weird cat that got caught in the gassing by the Rat Pack. So now they have an incentive to find out what happened with him. There's also a cool sequence where they're going to meet a lawyer that has helped the cat people over the years. Tiger's supposed to be in disguise. She's just got a lot of clothing on. And Tiger's like, nobody's even giving me a second glance. And meanwhile, Will Muno draws this ass shot of her, a male bystander kind of giving her the side eye and really like taking in yeah, her. Like uh, giving a very long second glance as she says, nobody's giving me a second glance. So they find out that Dr. Leon's in jail. Tiger scales the side of the prison and uses acid that I guess she got from Dr. Tumalo and burns the bars and manages to carry Dr. Leon to safety, who seems like a pretty cool cat, no pun intended. Yeah, he seems pretty chill. But then the Rat Pack shows up, and they were apparently getting involved in some other incident that attracted police attention. So Tiger goes to try to combat them, and it does a cool sequence where she grabs one and tosses them, you know, like a rag doll. And then she gets into a fight with the female member of the team, number two, who's quite good at the martial arts. When she's fighting two of them, she manages to make one of the guys stab the other guy with a knife, and it turns out that they're brothers, and so the brother's really pissed off at her. Then finally, while she's made short work of the Rat Pack, then she runs into their leader, who looks like some dude out of a uh, Mad Max type movie. Got this long brown hair. It's like long... the Screamer, kind of. Yeah, kind of, but bulkier, like beefier. Yeah. Black eyes with pinpoint white portions to them. And so he's fighting Tigra. The fight doesn't last long. He basically laughs at her face as they're struggling, and she just weakens and falls out, left behind as though she didn't matter anymore. This leader guy, Joshua Plague, is just like, eh, she doesn't matter. Leave her alone. Do what I tell you to. And so she gets up at the end, and she's kind of groggy, and she catches their scent again and goes after them. And meanwhile, it turns out this there's been a massacre that had occurred in an Indian reservation because the Rat Pack was trying to find something there, although, again, they're kind of vague about what it was. And this attracts the attention of the Native American hero, Red Wolf, with his trusty sidekick, Lobo, the wolf. I thought that was a really nice-looking shot at the end. It kind of reminded me of that Paul Galassi style of anatomy from that time period, like Masters of Kung Fu, the earlier issues. I thought that whole issue looked fantastic. Yeah, it's a good-looking book. Yeah. I, now, sometimes the figures were a little squat-looking. Yeah. Like they were a little smaller than they ought to have been. But it had a nice style to it. It was flashy. Well, and I like how all of the uh, the Rat Pack, they kind of wear these masks, these super tight masks, mm-hmm. but he really makes sure that you can see their mouths. Yeah. Like, like it's just like uh, almost pantyhose pulled over, like uh-huh. it's sheer enough that you can really see detail in their mouths. Very cool effect when they're yelling at each other and screaming. It was really yeah. pretty cool. For a lot of guys in head-to-toe green, they seemed cool because of yeah. how they were drawn. Yes. And I got to say, too, the female member, they did a good job of showing her in action. I mean, Wilmuno is, I think, known for drawing really nice-looking female figures, but I liked that... It, in her fighting, she still looked like the anatomy was correct. It looked like her body was moving in the way it ought to while doing roundhouse kicks and stuff. Yes. And she was throwing roundhouse kicks. Full-on martial arts ninja kicks and stuff. Yeah. Do you want to pick up with the next one? Yep. So it's not really the next one, right? This is issue five. Right. So issue number four is the fill-in, which again, is kind of sad. You get one issue into a multi-issue arc, and then you drop in this fill-in by a different creative team. So this picks up with Tigra chasing after Joshua Plague and the Rat Pack. Right. Although she does have a quick flashback to the Craven appearance, but it's only in a caption box so my suspicion is they dropped that caption box in after this issue was in the works to cover for the fill-in for, for the one fill-in issue and don't they talk a little bit about her origins in there too uh, 
of do they? Did I miss or is it just bit? a recap of the story? I think it's kind of just a recap of the story. Okay. I think these pages stuck together when I read them. Uh, I read okay. This. So I missed this. But yeah, it looks like I didn't need any of it because nope. that's all recap. That's all recap. Hey, nice job. Anyway, so she's on their tail and two members of the Rat Pack. It's, it's the male and the female. Yeah. yeah. I it's, think it's, it's number a, one and number one two, two right again? now. It's one yeah. and two. They and one her. is the guy who's more murderous and is is more of a, of a wild card where two is the female martial artist. And I guess it's because number one technically started the Rat Pack. Right, right. He'd been replaced by Joshua Plague and wasn't happy about it and often questioned orders while continuing to follow them. Right. So they're kind of flying in their little hover car and they spot Tiger. So they're like, eh, let's just run this chick over. So they just kind of fly at her, miss because she's Tiger, and dodges them, which leads to number two, the hot female Rat Pack member jumping out and start trying to go toe-to-toe with Tiger. And there's a great, they, they do a good job, at least in these first two issues of, and, they, and you know, they, they did this a lot in the other Tiger stuff we've read. Well, she'll start to lose it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, she, she goes really, feral. She fades into that feral thought. So th- there's this one scene where she gets kicked in the head as she's sort of recovering from it. Agent number two or Rat Pack number two starts coming at her and she reaches out with her clawed hand at the last second sort of snaps back to reality and retracts the nails but has still scratched from forehead all the way down she's this like, woman's face. Like, well, no, it's, I don't think it was scratched. I think what you see, if you look at her, she's got this cross hatching makes it look like it's bruised. Like she pulled the claws in just in time so that instead of sinking claws into her brain, bruised up the sides of her face and then ripped the mask that's what I'm saying. the fingers. That's what I'm saying. So instead of ripping skin and yeah, face, it's just she, mask. It just ripped mask yeah. because she caught herself at the last second. But I like how it looks. She still looks battle damaged. She looks like essentially punched with an open hand. Right. As that battle continues to take place, number two jumps from behind and gasses her. So you think, oh damn, Tiger just got knocked out again. But with her cat-like smell, she could tell that there was a gas gun in right. the area and we had already been holding her breath. So there's a really good scene as the dude starts to... Exposit. Oh, right. Like, take her. She does this spinning and I don't know if that's a groin kick or what it is, but he, he goes, oof, and then, oh my god. And again, it's really good because even though he's got a masked face, yeah, you can see him you can see going, his oh. mouth wide open going, oh my god. Like, very cool the way, the, the effect they use, even though their faces are covered in masks, he does an excellent job of per, uh, portraying the emotion. I like how they have this ad too for these things. What are they called? Comic book protectors? And basically it's the one of those plastic sleeves like you see in the library for their magazines, but made specifically for comics and they give you a page of stickers so you can decorate them if you'd like. Yeah, that was kind of cool. So I get this was, I assume in the days before bags and boards had caught on and they were showing you some alternative methods of protecting your comics. So who ended up knocking her out? Damn it, did I miss it? Oh yeah, yeah. She busts up number one. One of the other guys sneaks up behind her and just basically clubs her in the back of the head and quote unquote turns out the lights. So they pick her up and take her back to their main lair and then we flash over to Red Wolf's story who in typical Native American fashion is being harassed by the local police because mm-hmm. they think that he's part, basically that these terrible police officers think that anybody they get their hands on must have been part of the Rat Pack. They think uh-huh. that was his name Leon was a Rat the Pack man yeah. was a Rat Pack member and now they think that Red Wolf's a Rat Pack member. So there, God, there's a freaking awesome line here where they're talking to the lawyer that we met in the first issue and he's saying oh hi Red Wolf I'm oh because the, the police confirm with the Avengers that Red Wolf's legit and they right. kind of let him go. Because this is the second appearance of the William Tall Trees Red Wolf who had debuted in a two issue story arc in the Avengers. Editor's note see the Marvel Superheroes podcast episode 80 becoming a red wolf 
So he says, I'm Jules Banyan, Red Wolf. I acted on occasion as legal counsel for the Indians, or for legal consultant for the Indians. He's like, then you share our grief, Mr. Bannon. Or Banyan? I think it's Banyan. Banyan? And he goes, I don't know why the Rack Pack struck here. The tribe was really quite poor. I doubt if they had anything of any real value. And he goes, and Red Wolf goes, except for their beliefs, their heritage, their proud way of life. And uh, he's like, uh, I didn't mean, uh, like, uh, w- <laughs> want to get away? Like, that's not what I meant. And then he says, and one more thing, the soul catcher, which we find out is sort of... We fade over. Well, they to, keep referring uh, to it as a statue, but it looks more like a rectangular baton thing. It's like a broke ass cosmic control rod. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it kind of looks like a flute. Flute case. Yeah, well, I guess it's kind of a staff. Maybe there's like a head at the top of it. Whatever it is, <laughs> we're spending a lot of time on this. Yeah, we're spending a lot of time on this thing. The statue has been taken. So that's and that's when we fade to a panel that has uh, what's this guy's name? Plague. Yeah, Joshua. Joshua Plague. Plague. He's holding his hand. That's one of those names I've made a point to remember because it reminds me of Josiah Power from the Power Company book that. DC put out. Both the names are ridiculous, but Joshua Plague somehow manages to be even more ridiculous. Joshua Plague and the Rat Pack. So anyway, Red Wolf in, ends that page with, my people were murdered by whoever took the soul catcher, Mr. Banyan, and by the great spirit, their death shall not go unavenged. By the way, it's strongly insinuated that Joanne Tumolo and this Banyan lawyer had a thing in college. And apparently he's been helping the cat people since college. And I think he's been helping himself to that pussy since college. Okay, so for listeners at home, that was a sort of strange cat pun Frank tried to work in there. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> Yeah. Now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. So I didn't realize uh, his horse's name was Ra- he says Ho Ranger and rides right. Like, really? Yeah. Come on. I, I don't remember the horse being named previously. Lobo is like a key part in all the Red Wolf stories, but I don't really remember the horse that well. But he mentions though, I, I spotted this cat chick about to head out of here. Lobo's got her scent. Lobo can track anything once he gets it sent. So we're out of here. Peace out. And Doctor Tumalo's like, oh shit, that's Tigra. He's going after her. Okay, so from there we get to the home base of. Mr. Plague and the Rat Pack, and they're all basically arguing about how, you know, how number one was going way too aggressive with it, and number six, or number five, just like, dude, come on, man, you're, you're just have it out for this whole group, because you still think you should be in charge, and guess what, it's never gonna happen, you need to chill out. And then, um, what's his name? Plague is like, no, I, I told number five to go out there and do that, and he was like, what, what's, we're ranked one through five, it's a ranking, you need to keep the ranking, that's the right. whole point of the Chain ranking. of command. The chain of command, Plague. And he's like, look, dude, sure, you found this, you founded this group, and that's why you were number one, but, you know, you were just getting trashed by Captain Marvel before I got over here, and now we're, like, legit criminals, so you need to check your shit. It's like he just acquired them for the branding. Uh-huh. It's like his name was already Joshua Plague, yeah. and he's like, well, I need to have some sort of rat-themed crew, right? and found them and just bought them on the cheap. Yeah, they would have totally been a punk band, though. Joshua, Joshua Plague and the Rat Pack, oh total punk band. A really terrible punk band? Yeah. Oh. Well, because they stole their name from Sinatra's group. All right, that's a different type of Rat Pack. Yeah. So anyway, uh, T- Tiger, of course, you're seeing her inner monologue where she's like, yeah, you know, I woke up from my, you know, being Clubbing. knocked out a long time ago, but this conversation is getting pretty interesting, so I'm just going to chill here and listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I like that Greer Nelson still has her cat voice in these issues where I felt like they kind of got a little far from the character in the Monsters Unleashed story especially but even in the Werewolf by Night's tale where this one felt the most like it was the continuation of the cat series she still felt more like that character yeah. in this story than she did in some of those previous ones yeah and I guess part of it is she's got more control over the cat self she isn't going cry- quite as crazy feral so uh as they were like well what are you gonna do to so basically they were like okay we've kind of been found out here 
we're gonna need to blow this whole joint up so start placing we probably put some bombs around we're just gonna blow it up set it for like 20 minutes and they're like what do you want to do with this cat lady like, he's like we'll go chain her up because they already think that she's sort of part of our crew so they're gonna find her body here after we blow this place up and you know that maybe that'll take them off our trail for a little bit so they start to take her away again she's actually awake they think she's still in a coma so then she just starts trashing these guys until our good friend joshua plague comes in with this weird soul catcher statue and has some dope kirby bubbles all around him as he blasts her and kind of in the meantime you kind of see a little bit of uh who's there it's between number two and number four and they're sort of like what's going on here number four all these thefts of experimental serums joshua's uh knowing who this tiger is when none of us did now these strange powers that he's suddenly exhibiting just what or who is he very good question coming from his own crew right anyway so th- they're getting ready to flee the base before the bombs go off because now that she's legit knocked out they're like We're, let's just go and the place is going to blow up and they, they notice that red wolf is approaching and it's like yeah you know what by the time he finds the secret entrance it'll be about 20 minutes so set the bombs for 20 minutes so he'll get in here and uh the place will get blow up real good yeah right. take them both tigra. Out. uh although there is a bit of a scott evil well why don't you just kill tigra now you know yeah, why does hap- she have to blow up happened like three or four they've knocked her out like four times in right. these two issues uh so they, they're all like all right cool let's roll so they roll out and tigra's out cold and she's got these crazy like handcuff things on they're like serious manacle things but they look kind of like um like the posts that you'd have in at a parking spot like the ones that come out of the ground they're like canisters around her hands yeah. that are chained to this thing so her being tiger and being stronger than the average female i guess yeah. she or is cat. Probably both cats you? and females. There you go. And she female cats. Probably combined. Uh, she's able to like tug on them until the chains break. And as soon as she gets out of those, she still has the canister on her hands. She's just chained. She has broke the chains that were chaining her to wherever she was chained to. Red Wolf comes in and starts throwing axes at her. And this was a pretty good, I like this panel. It says, it was one of those magic moments. Boy meets girl. Boy throws tomahawk at girl. <laughs> That's funny. Girl doesn't get a chance to warn boy that an explosion that promises to blow them all to Helsinki. And I still couldn't outrun that mocking, unearthly laughter of Joshua Plague. To be continued. It's J.L. May. We're covering the Silver Age. This J.L. May. A comic event from Mark Wade. We're crossovering a podcast. There's 12 of us involved. Get it in your ear holes, this JL We'll tell you all, all about the Silver Age. It's not great. But it's okay We really have to warn you It has a controversial one Where Mark Miller wrote the lead But it also has some good stuff page metal band Challenges of the unknown Green Lantern Flash Patrol of Doom Victory! I'll live that too! 
annual JLMA event is upon us once more. In 2018, we're reading The Silver Age from 2001. The journey begins in the podcast Justice's First Dawn and continues in the shows Relatively Geeky, Coffee and Comics, Supermates, Waiting for Doom, Idlehead of Diablo, The Longbox Crusade, The Lantern Cast, Batgirls of Oracle, Comic Reflections, Cosmic Treadmill, The Fire and Water Podcast. It all begins this May. So next up is Marvel Chillers number six, Night of the Wolf, which starts in the same place where the previous issue ended with uh, Tomahawk being thrown at Tigra and Red Wolf screaming, die, werewoman, die. And I like to, on the cover, there's a black burst with white lettering that reads, it's the Marvel Age of Comics, phase two. So apparently these phases go back to at least 76. <laughs> uh, so you open it up and you got this gorgeous splash page and a bit of a surprise on the art front. Yep. Who would that be? John Byrne. You know, I, I like Will Mimo. I've got no problem with continuing this book with with his artwork, but then, bam, John Byrne. Not quite at his peak yet, but just no. gorgeous artwork, though. He's really good at drawing Tigra, and it's only the males that look a little off sometimes. But I will say, this next page you're about to flip to, two-page spread of, it's sort of like looking... You're looking at a profile of Red Wolf that fills the entire right-hand page with a corner devoted to a very demonic-looking Lobo. Then his arm is sweeping into the left-hand page. The tomahawk is being thrown towards Tigra, who's in a very small bottom left-hand corner so you get the sense of you're seeing this almost from Red Wolf's perspective like over his shoulder as he's throwing the tomahawk down the hallway at her but it's a two-page spread awesome perspective yeah you kind of just stare at this two-page spread trying to take it all in it was it was terrific whereas the prior artist very unique looking all the characters are very attractive but pretty standard comic but as far as yeah. layouts go yeah nothing too I mean some of his his splash pages were pretty cool but it would just be kind of like an oversized panel whereas this is sort of the perspective used there's on a this bigness page. to it there's a wide screen quality to it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it gives you a real sense of the force with which Red Wolf is throwing this tomahawk. And he just screams, Beware, woman! A wide dota guide my throw! Let Red Wolf's aim be true! And Trigra is still chained up. She has one arm. Both hands are in manacles. One of them is still chained to a wall. So she's trying to get out of the way of this thing, but she can't quite do it. She knows it, and she has the sinking sensation, like, I can't do anything about what's about to happen. But what happens is the tomahawk splits the chains and frees her, allowing her to smash her her manacles off of her hands 
She turns ready for combat only to find a boy and his dog. You are fortunate, woman. Your foolishly squirming nearly cost your life. I feared you would lunge into the path of my tomahawk. You meant to free me? Of course. I would not have thrown with such force merely to kill you. I just like that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. Then the, there's a rumbling because the explosions are starting to detonate within the building. So Tiger and Red Wolf have to really move those moccasins down the hallway. And they're dodging all these you know, large chunks of debris that keeps falling in their way. Well, and I, and I like that as everything is starting to fall apart. Red Wolf's like, you couldn't have said something? Like, you, yeah. you didn't say anything? Over here betting Lobo and trying to be all chill. And you could have mentioned the place is about to blow about up to on us. About to explode. But they find this uh, Logan's Run sort of subway transport thing that the uh, Rat Pack had been using to go to and from their base. And so they all pile in and fly off into this thing. Meanwhile, Dr. Tumalo, what is that fellow's name again? Starts with a B. Jules Banyan, the lawyer Banyan. friend, and Professor Leon are talking about the situation and giving us a little bit of flashback action in case we pick this up off the newsstand without having read any previous issues. I bought this book probably around 91, 92. I got this out of a either, I think, a back issue bin because I was a fan of Red Wolf. And so I hadn't read any issues prior to this one. So that sort of thing came in handy. Also, I want to mention before we forget that they advertise in one page Mighty Marvel Mirrors. And I don't know if you remember this, but they used to make these little bitty mirrors and they'd have print on the mirrors, really big with heavy metal album covers where you'd have parts of mirror and then the rest of it would be obscured by artwork from the albums or like a Def Leppard logo or something like that. I won one at a state fair one time. But these have Spider-Man swinging through the city and then the Fantastic Four is flaming one mirror. There's one where Captain America's shields frame the mirror and there's that mad bomb shot of Jack Kirby's cap coming at you. Another Spider-Man and a Hulk one. I, I would like to see one of those. I wonder if there's any out there that we could take a look at. That'd be cool to see in the actual form rather than just these illustrations. Definitely we'd have to hit up eBay for that. Things come to a head between number one and Josiah no, Plague. Wait. Before you go farther, you have to read that top panel on that left page. Tumalo? Yes, sir. There must be more to those raiders than what is apparent on the surface, and that's what worries me. And then Banyan says, maybe some discreet poking about by Jules Banyan will turn up something, Joanne. I'll try. That's total sexual innuendo. Total. I told you, he's down for that pussy. Yeah. But uh, as he leaves, he thinks to himself that he's got an appointment with Joshua. So in fact, old Banyan's been working with Joshua this whole time, that yep. skeevy bastard. And so uh, things come to a head between number one and Josiah Plague. So Plague uses the soul catcher to lay a smackdown on the entire team. He's essentially saying, I don't need you anymore, and I can kill you with the raw power this device gives me. The only one he's not blowing up is number five, his buddy boy, who's been working with him, and who points out that Tiger is coming right at him in full fury. Oh, hey, look, an ad for Captain America's Bicentennial Battles. Oh, God. And this Superheroes Assemble subscription ad. I used to see this all the time in comics when I was a kid. I had a lot of issues from this time period that were given to me. It's the subscription ad with Starlin Captain Marvel, Conan, uh, looks like a Kirby Iron Man, Human Torch, looks like a Gil Kane Daredevil, probably a Marie Severin Hulk, a John Romita Spider-Man, a Frank Bruner Howard the Duck, uh, Romita Captain America, and probably a Romita Thor. Yeah, that's a pretty common ad. You know, it's just great seeing that collection of characters and that variety of artists. The four pages consecutive of ads aside, nice editing there. Um, Red Wolf and Tigros start going after the, the two groups of bad guys. Red Wolf got his hands full battling number five specifically. And with a little help from Lobo, it's revealed that number five is actually a robot. And that's why he's so loyal and so much more powerful than the other members of the team. Josiah Power starts trying to do his laughter thing against Tiger Plague. again to knock her out. Plague, sorry. Yeah. And uh, it turns out that it's not the laughter that's getting to her. It's his hypnotic powers. And she manages to shake it off briefly. So he decides 
decides that it's time to cast aside all disguises and it's revealed that Joshua Plague is actually the Super Scroll. And the issue ends with a caption of Tigra saying, Hoo boy. And Burns' Super Scroll is kind of fucked up. On like, that. It looks like Aaron Clarkson drew that. His face is all asymmetrical and it's... Well, and, and look at where the Human Torch arm is coming from. And that, very, uh, isn't that yeah, weird? that's no, kind of awkward. It looks like somebody's handing him the... Yeah, very strange. Yeah. Well, Frank Springer inked this. I think that might be a contributing factor, but it's still early burn. He's still kind of working out the details. Oh, and I got to point out too, there's a, a full page ad here that's one of those comic strip ads for the G.I. Joe character Bulletman the Human Bullet. Uh, that's another one that I remember fondly from childhood. I, I got to go on eBay and see if I can find one of those too. Yeah. I wouldn't actually like buy it. I just want to see a picture of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably like a G.I. Joe museum there's gotta be. online where you can just look at this stuff. But I, I just love the comic strip ads. It's something that it's kind of a lost art. I think that if Nick Lachey had had a little comic book adventure in his little Twix ad instead of just being inexplicable and stupid, the people would be more receptive to the whole thing where advertisements are breaking in halfway through a page on DC Comics' stories. I don't know if you heard about this. I have stuff. not. But yeah, you know the guy who used to be married to Jessica Simpson who's completely irrelevant to pop culture these days? Maybe. Pitching for Tony Twix. Romo? No, Nick Lachey. Oh, that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he was a singer. So anyway, so they're, they're taking two pages of DC Comics art and they, well, it's actually one page and they split it into two pages and on the bottom of the page it's just an advertisement for Twix where Lachey and his evil twin are arguing over which Twix is more tasty which I've always thought was like a really dumbass ad campaign and this just compounds the stupidity when did these occur? recent months like a month or so ago really? a lot of uproar about it people really didn't like their comics being interrupted in that way yeah that would be kind of stupid a lot of having an adventure fighting his evil twin and maybe involve hostess pies and we'd all be loving it probably issue number 7 of Marvel Chillers featuring Tigra the Werewoman alright so this is the final issue yeah they're, they're real clear about that there's an editorial piece in there that basically says hey the numbers weren't there and there's a big thing at the end of the book where they're like hey this, she's going on the show for a while but we're gonna find another place for her because Roy likes her yep Roy Thomas the editor by the way so this although issue... did he edit this issue no Archie did okay and they, Marv Wolfman edited the first part which was kind of appropriate yeah so last issue we had Isabella joined by John Byrne, Byrne. this issue is Jim Shooter with on George, writing on writing with George Tuska on and, art and uh, Sal Trapini doing the inks. So the entire creative team has changed for the last part of the story. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And suspicious, because you got to wonder, well, if the guys who started the book didn't finish the story, why would that be? Right. So maybe because they're trying to wrap everything up in this one last issue, where they had some sort of mega arc that didn't come to fruition? Yeah, I, this is already sort of a bizarre mix of characters as it is, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So we pick up the last one left off. The Super Scroll has revealed himself. Not nearly as pretty of a Super Scroll. Uh, well, I don't think that Super Scroll by Byrne was very good. I actually think right. the Tuscan one's better. You like the Tuscan one better? Yeah. yeah. He's got these weird, crazy, uh, demonic eyes, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. The majority of this issue is just a knockdown drag out with Red Wolf and number five, the android. The robot, yeah. And Tiger and the Super Scroll. So Super Scroll has the soul catcher, right? Mm-hmm. And that along with his, uh, the power of his combined of the Fantastic Four. He's thrown down pretty good with Tiger. And this whole time, the Rat Pack is watching this go down and they're like, this is freaking crazy. Like, as soon as, <laughs> what was his name? Plague is now a super scroll. Let's just get the hell he, out of he here. He just tried to kill us, so when he kills these people, he's going to just he's turn just back gonna, on us again. Yeah, and they're like, okay, we're out of here. Red Wolf, not looking great. Under Tuska? Or just in general? Just in general. Yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't have superpowers. Right. So he's trying to fight a big robot, and he's got weapons that aren't even from the century he's working in. He's just, like, trying to punch him to death, and he's got, like, freaking Lobo, this dog, this wolf, is, like, biting his leg to, like, keep him off balance, and it's just like, <laughs> man... Red and I think Tiger even makes a comment about how I, I could really use some backup here, but, you know, Red 
Werewolf's trying not to die. I think right. basically how she puts it. She's she's beat by the uh, Super Scroll. Well, I mean, she's just completely outclassed. They both are. Yeah, yeah, big time. The robot is just about to finish off Red Wolf, and she kind of comes from nowhere and busts him up. He just like rips him to shreds and one swell swoop. That's right, because he was about to finish Tiger off and Lobo. Well, well what? Yeah, it's, hold on. Uh, what I liked is that he not only had he beaten Tiger, but he said he's about to smash her face to pieces. If I remember correctly, or something like really graphic like that verbally and he's got his big thing fist ready to do it and then Lobo comes and snatches up the soul catcher in his teeth and runs off and Super Troll just casts her aside like she's nothing again goes after the dog and that frees Tiger up to just, just savage this robot like it was nothing just completely out yeah she like Red kicks Wolf. it and just it explodes to pieces yeah. uh, it's, the line you were looking for was Super Scroll says I'll crush your skull like an overripe melon yeah that's graphic So he's, and he's holding her by the hair he's got right. her by the hair with one hand and then has the the thing arm getting ready to bust her upside the head. Oh yeah. So anyway, so Lobo. By the way, we forgot to mention too. Jack Kirby drew the cover. Is that a Kirby? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's Kirby. Definitely peculiar seeing Kirby draw two of those three characters. Yes. Super Scroll, fine. Yep. Tigra and Red Wolf. What the hell? Lobo bails him out. Lobo bails him out a few times. This, yeah. This wolf is pretty that, miraculous. This is a, one of those situations, kind of like the Quality Manhunter, where the canine is really outclassing the hero. He's the smart one. He's the one who figured out how to get Super Scroll off their backs for starters. Well, and, and he was the one that found when, when the original base was all blowing to pieces they were like she was like they mentioned something about like some sort of underground train and he's like Lobo find it and Lobo just like leads <laughs> straight to it yeah excellent. Timmy's Lobo. trapped in the whale yeah well, well she even has a point? line where it's like uh, Red Tin Tin has nothing on him or something I like that I think she even says that a couple times yeah he's no Rin Tin or no Rin Tin Tin yeah you're right yeah that's where we are okay so in the background you see uh, Jules Banyan is sort of like oh man the jig is up what is going down I gotta get out of here before Tiger sees me and then he's never mentioned again he's never again. mentioned again that's why I'm like okay so where does Great big hanging plot thread, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so they're sprinting off to trying to get to, because uh, the Super Scroll obviously is chasing after Lobo. Catches Lobo, blasts him with Johnny Storm style heat blasts. He says, die, wretched beast, burn! <laughs> and shoots a huge fire blast at him. And Red Wolf's like, he killed Lobo of all the dirty, vicious. And they're like, oh shit, no, Lobo's like right there. <laughs> yeah. Lobo just he just like, walks up behind Red Wolf and Tiger like it's nothing. <laughs> it's like that last <laughs> two. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm right here. And here's the staff you guys wanted. And he's like, oh, God. But in silent doggy eye motions and stuff, like not posture. Right. He didn't actually go. <laughs> he didn't actually go, oh, hey, guys. Hey, here's that staff. That's that's my Lobo. You you can bark. And I go, hey, guys. Here's the, hey, guys. Here's the soul catcher. You wanted that soul catcher? Here it is. So anyway, they get the soul catcher right as the police show up and are like, we knew it. It's you two. You've got the stolen artifact. It's the Indian and the woman. They're trying to try to muzzle Lobo. And Red Wolf's like, Lobo, we will never be chained. Lobo takes off and the cops start shooting the dog with his police revolver. He's like, I swore I heard it five times. I know I did. He goes, he's like, I will never allow Lobo to be chained. Run, brother. And the cop's like, hey, Sarge, that animal really is a wolf. And he's getting away. Bring him down. (laughs) We can't have a wolf running loose on these streets. Were these the same cops that went after Howard the Duck? Yeah, these typical cops. They shoot to kill. Pull the guns out and just start firing like mad. But again, Lobo is obviously like Ghost Dog. He's like a total badass. Yeah, Lobo was by far the best character. He's the star of the book. Yeah, oh yeah. They, they, they bring them up on charges again. It's sort of like Lobo? A, it's, what it's charges like a, did they bring no, Lobo up No, on? not Lobo. Lobo got free. <laughs> Red, Wolf, Red Wolf and Tiger. And they uh, and Tiger wants to just scratch her way clear and Red Wolf is like, oh, or who actually she calls him just red, talks her out of it, is like, chill out, baby, chill, baby, chill. 
He's like, yeah, yeah, just get in the paddy wagon. We'll go down. It looks like they're in night court. Uh, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, and, and finally, I guess the one dun, of the captains dun, dun, or whatever dun, dun. just called and was like, oh, no, no, he's an Avenger. Let's just let him go again. It's like, he, yeah, it's like the best. Becoming he's, an Avenger is the best thing that ever happened. Right, no kidding. And here they are. They just hand him his tomahawk back in the middle of the police station. Tomahawk. It's like tomahawk, the dirty South tomahawk. Tomahawk. Take his tomahawk. More tomahawk. This guy's like way accommodating, too. He's like, yeah, and this so guy, nice. Hey, pardon me, Red Wolf. Isn't that that stolen Indian relic? And he's and like, oh, yes, uh, we recovered it from the raiders who massacred the village. Oh, the Rat Pack, yeah. Man, uh, I have a stolen goods report here on that one. Can I see it for a while? He's like, well, sure, go ahead and take it. And the guy's like, thank you, Indian. Thank you very much. Because, of course, the Super Scroll can shapeshift. Right. Things. And he's like, no need for this disguise anymore. And he throws the desk aside. And there's the corpse of the cop he's been playing the whole time. Yeah, underneath like a desk. Yeah. Jacked up. Just have the bot corpse stuffed under there. It's interesting reading this after reading the Annihilation stuff. Because you were reminded, wow, this guy really is a murderous scumbag. It's- yeah, the Super Scroll was, was kind of a bad dude. So he kind of explains that he got his ass wept by uh, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. and he's sort of been, you know, recovering. And that's why he's had this these clowns going around getting all these serums for him and stuff. Yeah. He's basically been healing himself. I bet that was the original intention, but it does do a nice job of explaining that stuff. Yeah, it the, does. The rest it- of the book wasn't doing that. Right. The they, were the never, series, I mean. they were never explaining why the hell the Super Scroll needed a band of clowns right. to steal Native American secrets and right. se- it, the serums or didn't make any sense. Well, that, and as soon as they got the Soul Catcher, they didn't even mention any of these other heists that they were doing. Right, so exactly. I, I'm glad that Shooter made a point of wrapping that up. And there's this awesome scene where Tiger slashes at Super Scroll, but he uses like the Mr. Fantastic bendy neck to kind of stretch his neck out and bend it a little bit. <laughs> so she misses. And then he just whips their asses again, man. Yeah, I kept waiting for this to be the story where I'm like, man, the, no wonder people don't respect the Super Scroll. He got beat by Red Wolf and Tiger. It's like, no, he did not. No, he just trashes them. Yeah. Uh, so then she finally has this massive... Feral- oh, we forgot to mention the part, too, that when the police show up, again, inexplicably, Super Scroll turns himself into a bum using his shape-shooting powers instead of just killing all the cops and making off the Zolcatcher. catcher. Oh, I thought that he had just left. No, he's the bum poking around in the fire with the a bum. stick. Okay. They, they made too big a big deal about, maybe we should arrest the bum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know there was a bum there. I just yeah. thought that he had Splitsville and, the, and a bum would just happen to be in the area. Cause he was he's, like, he's, no, he's poking around looking for the fucking soul catcher. He's all like, oh. Uh, he's, he doesn't know Lobo's alive, apparently. Yeah, because he was like, hey, uh, that's that uh, that's that soul catcher. You guys stole it. You guys are guilty. He's like, it wasn't us. It was the super scroll. And then he looks over and it's just the bum. Yeah, so anyway, so Tiger at this point just has this massive feral fit like she just like lets it totally consume her and she jumps going e-y-a-r-r dash r dash r so it, she leaps at super scroll who's holding the soul catcher and is like all right time to get eradicated and she says oh no he says um before i've stopped you with the energy from this wand beast woman this time for the this time for the first time i will never mind fuck this panel this doesn't make any fucking sense anyway the next panel he says and rip the essence from your existence Distance from the face of this planet and he fires this he doesn't really fire the staff he's sort of just holding it over his head and she says stopped cold i felt my soul shredded inside of me but the old switcheroo happens the soul catcher i guess detects the true evil inside of the super scroll and pulls his soul into the soul catcher yeah and what it does is so like the soul catcher it's like these little blocks and each block is like a different face mm-hmm. well they show that now the super scrolls face is the top block so i guess it adds a block each time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of a cool. Oh, yeah, it looks kind of neat. So anyway, afterwards, 
starts, you know, she and uh, Red are kind of just talking, and, and she's like, you know what? Uh, well, don't forget the part where they run away because the cops were going to blame them for the death of their captain. Oh, right. Again, so they, they, they jump out. And, and so they, they run away, and they're camping out in the desert, and Tigra's like, uh, the soul catcher, I could feel it trying to take my soul, but then when I became a full beast, it decided to go after the Super Scroll instead, and it just proves what a monster I am, and it's it's Red Wolf that puts forth the theory that the soul catcher just sought out the evil that found the true evil. We don't know for a fact that that's the reason why they sucked on Super Scroll. But as she says, it gives her a glimmer of hope. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so cause, so Red Wolf says, we have to get back to the city and clear our names. And she says, I, I can't, Red. I just can't face the human world yet. Not on those terms. But I've got to find out who and what I am first. But the glimmer, but, but you've given me a glimmer of hope. Thanks, Red. And this is the end? Then it says, sadly, yes, this is it. <laughs> Pilgrims, the last issue. Marvel Chillers is being shelved to make way for the latest inspirations from the House of Ideas. So, don't worry about her. She will return. Well, it probably didn't help that they started out the series with frickin' Madra the Mystic. Yeah, you're kind of you got a loaded deck there. God, what a crazy band of characters this is. Mm-hmm. Red Wolf, Tiger, and the Super Scroll. What the fuck? It's the 70s, all right. Yeah, see, this is a this is an excellent example of Bronze Age storytelling, because the thing of it is, each one of these issues, regardless of the creative team, I enjoyed reading each of the issues. Yeah. I, I, they, they was amusing. It was, it, was, it was a nice little bit of pastime. It's only when you take it as a whole and you realize that because this is a bi-monthly book with a fill-in issue, 10 months of somebody's reading life was devoted to this story. Bad. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense, and it doesn't have really any meaning. Ultimately, you don't advance the characters of Red Wolf or Tigra any. Uh, Super Scrolls kind of just there. They, it still isn't really a great explanation for why he has to have this Native American artifact, or as they like to say all over the book, Indian. Indian, Indian, Indian. I didn't realize how much I've been conditioned to think of East Indians as Indians yeah. until I was reading this book because uh, it was it used to be, yeah, Indian default means, uh, you know, Native American. I, I'm just, I, it, I, my brain just doesn't work that way anymore. Well, yeah, let's face it. I, I, I mean, I know more Indians than I know Native Americans. Yeah. So it just, it's weird. Whenever I hear Indian, I think of, you know, Raj over in Risk. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like, or Pontosh over in IT. Like, that's who I think of when I think of Indian. I don't think, you know, right. insert random. Well, Native that, American and you know, it, and even Native American, they don't like so much. It's like you want to identify the individual tribes as well. He's a Cheyenne, by the way. Okay. So I, I, one would expect that he's avenging a Cheyenne Indian reservation that's been massacred by Super Scroll and the Rat Pack. Um, so yeah, but, um, it was, it was fine. It was nice. I, I'm glad Tiger had her, her little series going for a bit there. I, I wish things had worked out a little bit better for her, but again, this was sort of a, like I said, very entertaining as, as individual store, individual issues just doesn't work very great as well as a whole. Yeah. Well, and I, and I will say, I really, I enjoyed the Isabella stuff more, the first three issues. This last issue, you can tell is kind of a, we got to wrap, wrap, we gotta wrap quick. this sucker yeah. up. Uh, but Shooter does a pretty good job oh, yeah. of at least tying up all the loose ends. He, he obviously read the previous issues and made a point of, of addressing a lot of concerns for anybody who really cared about the story. Right. And, and you can tell, you know, they kind of had to just abandon the whole, you know, Tiger. Whole, the whole point of this was Tiger was supposed to meet Leon, who was going to help her turn into a human. You know what I mean? Like right. that all just completely went out abandoned. the window. Yeah. You, you don't see Tumalo in the last two issues, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Or you see her briefly in the third issue. Yeah. Uh, this, that, or issue six, third mm-hmm. part of the story. And in the seventh issue, there's no mention of Tumalo. There's no, like I said, those two panels of what's his name? Uh, home Dude Lawyer. Right. Who was allegedly a turncoat. Julie never, Banyan or whatever. They never tell you why or if yeah. he knew he was working with the Super Scroll. Mm-hmm. None of that all goes away. Uh, but the Isabella stuff, he does a really good job of using her inner monologue to mm-hmm. kind of drive the story. Yes. 
from panel yes. to panel. And uh, I don't know why it works so well with Tiger. Like I, I think on almost everything we've read of hers, you've got this inner monologue yeah. going. Well, she kind of comes across like the old gumshoe. She's like, for her, her adventures are kind of like detective stories, and she's got to have her, right. her internal narrative that's telling you how she feels about the stuff that's unfolding and how perplexed she is about this particular mystery. You know, it helps. It, it gives her an identity where a lot of you know she started this whole thing with the cat ladies and there's tons and tons of cat ladies in comics these days and most of the time they're either seductresses or they're feral clawy badasses and but they don't they're not a distinct entity there's just they're the cat lady in a particular book where in this one she has a lot of those qualities she had when she was the vigilante the cat she has a personality she has that sort of sarcastic uh, vibe about her that she had in the old series uh i do definitely enjoy that aspect yeah and and and, well and then you also got the wrestling with the the feral side that she's kind of constantly having to deal with too you know so so that she and she kind of has to explain it because you know when she's just fighting somebody and she's already in cat form it's kind of hard to convey when she's gone from uh, full cat rear nelson to to full cat right so she has to be saying it in her head like i'm I'm losing it i'm Mm -hmm. i can feel i'm going full feral now and then she breaks out you know so so i I think that works and and like you said i think it is these kind of have that detective style take to them uh and a lot of times you know she's kind of working alone so she's Mm -hmm. just kind of roaming the streets alone or whatever she's doing she's just thinking to herself going through her her thoughts and even then i feel like in a lot of these comics if she was by herself in a lot of comics they would just have the word she was talking to herself you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i don't it's just there's something different about it It, the way it goes there's a lot of caption abuse in modern comics because the word balloons were abused uh in their day they were definitely overused as an exposition device to where you're not really getting any insight into the character it's just a way for them to get around telling you something that you needed to know about the story but nowadays they do these captions on everything and sometimes a simple word balloon would would do the job better instead of having them caption sometimes you'll have whole stories of nothing but captions yeah and i don't know just there's something specific to comics there's something comic booky about a good word balloon and you should use whichever one works best for what you're trying to do i do think that the captions work well here because you needed that detachment you get the sense of tigra telling the story to somebody else after the fact using right. the captions right um so you don't have the immediacy otherwise if she were walking around thinking to herself you'd have the little cloud right, right? the cloud ones well not just that though but it would change the tense of, of what she's saying it would change the tone uh, i like that the captions allow her to be reflective about what happened and kind yeah. of give you like oh yeah that, that's i really screwed up at that particular point in time right it does take away from the immediacy of the story because you know that she's telling you something from a future point i think it's more important to just enjoy the story and how it's being told and th- that's definitely in service to that it makes you more involved with the character because if it was just pure action it just it wouldn't have the it same impact you need same. her color commentary yeah. of her adventure and, and again because of the conflict going on she's got things going on in her head so it makes sense that she's either walking you back through or walking herself back through it i don't know it just it seems to work with the character and, and again it seems like in everything that hers that we've read so far that's how she operates so as soon as i'm reading a tiger story or greer Nel- greer nelson slash greer grant mm-hmm. i'm kind of uh, she's greer grant nelson right. i prefer the alliteration but really it's it, greer nelson is the name they use the most often from this point onward so it, it, i don't know it just works and i like it and you kind of lose that in that last issue but uh yeah overall i thought I thought that was a perfectly final story. Yeah. Yeah, I do think, though, the reason why I bought the book was for Red Wolf when I was on my big Red Wolf kick at that time period. And you could take him out of the story and you really wouldn't lose anything. Well, you'd lose Lobo. You'd lose Lobo, who was definitely key. Yeah. But um, he mostly he just, like, reinforces things that Tiger would have done already. 
So he doesn't contribute a lot. No, he helps to free her from the base, and uh, Lobo does a lot, but otherwise he's he's kind of pointless. But I, I did like, you know, the It feels whole... like he's a value-added character. Like, oh, let's see if we can get the Tiger fans and Red Wolf fans to buy this, and maybe we'll have enough for readership to sustain. I, another part of these stories I did like, I did like that they keep being in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh-huh. where the cops keep finding them, and they're like, Red Wolf, they think Red Wolf, they, they think she did it, and, they think, and Red Wolf thinks she did it, and then mm-hmm. you kind of find out, no, Lobo told her. Right. Lobo was like, no, she was the one her. that did it. But for a while there, he suspected she did it, and then the cops find him again, hey, you guys blowing up that place, you guys were the ones that did it. Mm-hmm. You've got the stolen staff, and, yeah. and then they were about to, then they caught them for killing that chief. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just, it's kind of hilarious. <gasps> yeah, but it, well, and that plays with the unlucky gumshoe aspect as well, where, you know, they, he's, they're just in time for the villains to come take him for a ride and beat him up and leave him on the side of the road. Oh, now the cops are arresting me right when I'm trying to make a breakthrough on the case. And you, you definitely get that influence in there. Yeah. On the Marvel Superheroes podcast episode 80, the last episode to feature Red Wolf, we got retweets from Between the Pages, Siskoid, and Talk Nerdy to Me, as well as likes from Alan Middleton, Backseat Directors, Biko Django, Bob Buster, Bronze Age Babies, Brian Bayer, Chad Thorson, Gandanevis, Rebel, Charles Griffith, Chris at Bad Books for Beginners, Chris Sheehan, Cerebus Film, Comic Book Vault, David Fior, D.B. Besson, Dean Robert Willits, Dwight L. McPherson, Dirk Ashton, Ava Zarneka Art, Good Times Great Movies, Gore Tol- Infinite Monkey Comics, Jasper's Outfits, Jeffrey Brown, Jeffrey Whitworth, Jim at Canada Daredevil, Jim Escaville, Lost in Time, Max Romero, Master of the Universe Cast, Nerdfix Strangers, Patrick and Dennis, The Podcast Radio Network, Quanta Academia, Reezy Rico, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Ryan Daly, Sean Merritt, Slangwood Resists, Son of Cthulhu, Steve Sellers, Sully Jr., Terrence Castingway, Terry Dalman, Varangian Vigilante, Willie Yarbrough, and the Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace Podcast. Chris at Bad Post Beginners said, hey, I know that dude, check it out, and tweeted a cover image from Avengers, issue 80, which featured the coming of Red Wolf, pretty cool cover, got Lobo sicking Captain America in the vision, as well as Iron Man and Thor. Even cooler, Odell Abner Dracula found a Red Wolf commission that was done by Bob Layton in the style of uh, what would have been the Red Wolf miniseries if it had come out, featuring the future version that was shown in the Hercules miniseries. That'll be on our website, go ahead and check that out. Odell also asks, you guys seen this? Kind of neat. P.S. The Red Wolf modernization ideas you guys are spitballing sound a lot like scroll kill crew that miniseries wasn't entirely outside of my mind when i was suggesting it joe crawford wrote saw this pop up as i was listening to the last spawn episode always really liked the red wolf character excited to hear this one lost in time wrote looking forward to this not enough red wolf talk out there and hey now you got a double shot uh, ryan daly wrote always like the look of this character the shadow covering his eyes gives him a distinctly cowled appearance like a savage batman hey wait a minute dc totally stole this look for the prehistoric batman and morrison's return of Bruce Wayne and he tweeted a picture you can see that on the website as well Martin Gray wrote I never knew there were so many Red Wolves and there's a whole tangent on that between Ryan Daly and Kichi Baker Randy Caldwell wrote I'm sure Red Wolf has a sweater for night missions maybe he's like Hawkman it doesn't get cold oh Red Wolf Arak Flying Fox shirtless native dudes Roy Thomas finally an Earthly Visions wrote I like the They Live Red Wolf headcanon sounds like something Warren Ellis could take to bonkers places <laughs>
Finally, the Mary Marvel Marching Society, 20th Century Geek, 108 Sage, Ange, Bad Shapirak, Blue Girl, Bobcat at Bumwine Bob, Bone Dragon Comics, Brody's Kitchen, Cadaver Cast, Caroline Wells, Cash Flag, Chronosphere Fiction, The Cinnabud Podcast, Comic Reflections, Comics in the Golden Age, Daniel French, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Derek and Matt Podcast, Dr. G Nerdologist, Fanholes Podcast, Graphic Novelism, Gregory Litchfield, History of Comics on Film, Joe Crawford, Just in Time with the JNT Baggers, Justice First Dawn, Keith G. Baker, Kyle Benning Likes Comics, The List Game, Marvel Superhero Serial Wars and Beyond Podcast, Mike Radliff, Mr. Rogers' Stunt Double, Odell Abner Dracula, The Pod Stuff Podcast, Rad Adventures Podcast Network, Randy Caldwell, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Richard Field, Ryan Daly, Sassy Animal, Trekker Talk, Two Snaps Photography, Unearthly Visions, World Worlds, and Xena Schultz. The Marvel Superheroes Podcast is in no way affiliated with or endorsed by Marvel Entertainment. All characters mentioned and audio clips employed are believed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended against their copyright holders. The views expressed in this podcast are assumed legitimate, truthful, and solely possessed by the speaker. So where do we go from here with Tigra? Uh, let me look, actually. I don't think we're going to have anything to read in the immediate future. I think this actually helps to close out our intended coverage of uh, Tigra for a while. Until we hit Avengers, probably? Probably so. West Coast Avengers. Um, wait, was she on the East Coast team before West Coast? Or West Coast where she got involved with the Can't Avengers remember. as a whole? Don't remember. After Marvel Chillers... She's in a Marvel 2-in-1 with The Thing. I think I was in a Marvel 2-in-1 with The Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a, a little run on Fantastic Four, a Marvel team-up, which I think is that one that Ange was telling us about. Yeah. Yeah. An issue of Marvel Premiere Magazine. She really bounces around. An Amazing Spider-Man annual. And then she does end up in the Avengers. So she turns up in the Avengers book in 1981 as part of what looks to be a new team. The old order changeth. What issue was that? 200? 210. Where are you at on your Avengers overview right now? Mm, nearing the 160s. And I, this, I'm about to hit the Korvac saga. And, and if you want to talk about an interesting team it's uh, or a creative team, it's Bill Maplow and Gene Colan with Dan Green Inks. Holy shit wait is that the one no 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 that must have been a fill-in issue hold on a second no it's jim shooter gene colin and dan green still sounds like it's a fill-in issue <laughs> it's definitely I mean, maybe not the writer but artist wise mm-hmm. i'm in 161 okay so you're still pretty far away from that. yeah like i said i gotta go through korvac saga that's the next big one okay i think that's that